Hey guys, this is Pastor Mark Warren from Church at the Crossroads. Thank you for checking out our podcast. My prayer is that you're encouraged and challenged as you hear, understand, and obey God's Word today. We are in Romans chapter 11, and I could tell you today that this is a, an important uh, passage to understand because it deals with God's plan for Israel. Now, Amy and I went to Israel in 2017, and it was one of the greatest experiences of our lives. We absolutely loved it. Uh, Amy has 4% Hebrew, I believe, in her DNA. I have 5%. Okay. We loved it. Um, We loved being in the Holy Land. And if you read the Bible, I think as a Christian, it is important to understand the role of Israel in the history of the world. You know, there are some extreme views, and I have studied and prayed, and and today I want to seek to communicate what God's Word says about Israel, and not just to um, get focused on one particular uh, viewpoint. Now, to get the history straight, we got to go back to Abraham. God called Abraham and made four promises in Genesis chapter 12. God promised Abraham a particular place, a land. He promised them that he would be a blessing to all nations, including Gentiles. And that was one of the points of conflict when Jesus came, is Jesus came as a light to all nations. And there were some Jewish people that did not, you know, they did not view other nations favorably. But God's blessing for the seed of Abraham was that through them, that they would be a blessing to all nations, that God chose Abraham to be a channel through which they would inherit the land, they would be a blessing to all nations, that they would be a great nation, and that the Messiah would come through them. He made promises to Abraham, he made promises to David. He promised that Jesus would be from the tribe of Judah. He promised, even in the very beginning with Adam and Eve, he promised that the Messiah would come. And Jesus was born a Jew. So then we come to two of the problems that Paul had to address in the book of Romans. And I would believe that the Roman church, which consisted of Jewish and Gentile believers, were trying to figure this whole thing out. Because two things had happened. First, Israel had rejected the Messiah. The Bible says that Jesus came to his own, and his own received him not. They also rejected the gospel that Paul preached. When Paul went to the Jews, while some believed, many did not believe. And Paul spent most of his life on the run from Jewish people, who wanted to kill him. So Paul had to deal with the fact that here he was, I mean, like the most committed of Jews, and at the same time, he was a born-again Christian. And he had to process this whole thing. And in the foundation of laying the foundation for the first century church, Paul had to ask this big question, is, is God through with Israel. Israel, if Israel rejected the Messiah in the gospel that Paul preached, has God rejected them? 
did their actions somehow eliminate the promises that God had made to Israel? These four promises, Paul wants to show what is their status in light of the fact that Israel rejected the Messiah and many continued to reject uh, the gospel message. So let's look at the word of God. Paul says, I asked then, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. So Paul is reaching out to his Jewish believers who will be reading this letter. He said, did God reject his people? He said, no. He said, like you, I am an Israelite. He says, in fact, I'm a descendant of Abraham. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he appealed to God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left and they're all trying to kill me. Now, when the prophets of God in the Old Testament were persecuted by their own people, they would cry out to God. Just as Stephen kind of told the story in the book of Acts, he began all the way back to Joseph and how Joseph's brothers rejected Joseph and showed how that God's people, Israel, had rebelled against God. And he finally, he summarized the whole thing, talking to the Jewish people. He said, and finally, you have rejected God's Messiah. And what did the people do when they heard that? They rushed up on Stephen and killed him. But what does it say? And Paul, or Saul at that time, because he was going, going by his Hebrew name, Saul was standing there and he saw the whole thing. And Saul heard that, he heard that message. And now it's so much a part of his life because that Saul who rejected Christ, who rejected the Messiah, he got on the road to uh, Damascus and he was traveling on that road intent on killing Christians. And Jesus Christ burst through and, and penetrated his dark heart with the gospel light. And, and he was one to Christ. And he gave, he surrendered his life to Christ. And now Paul, as a Christian, has been given the task of sorting this whole thing out. God's apostle to the Gentiles, who loves his own people so much as the Jews, and he's sorting out this whole thing and how it will work in history as it's recorded in the uh, Romans chapter 11. So Paul says that God did not reject his people. And what was God's answer to him? He says, I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed down their knee to Baal. God did not reject Israel because many Israelites had received Christ as their Messiah. Though not all of them, not the entire nation. But there were many who received Christ as their Messiah. Paul was one of them. And he says, so too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace, not based on works, not based on keeping the Mosaic law, but based on grace. Then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. 
What then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly that they did not obtain, the elect among them did, but the others were hardened. The elect, we said uh, a couple weeks ago, we said that elect means those that God selects based on their trust in Christ. God selects those who put their faith in Christ to adopt him into his family as his children. And God's elect consists of those who place their faith and trust apart from works, apart from the works of the law, but their faith is in Christ. What then, what the people of Israel sought so earnestly, they did not obtain. The elect among them did, but the others were hardened. Now, what were these people seeking that became hardened? And why would God harden their hearts? What happened where these people are actually seeking God? And that's where the language can get confusing because they're trying so hard and yet it's, it's making it worse. What would be wrong with trying something so hard? Well, I had to kind of think about that and think about, you know, back in the day when I would do something with my dad. And my dad would say, I'm going to show you the way it should be done. And I was stubborn. And I wanted to do it my way. And my way was the wrong way. It didn't make my dad happy. He didn't say, well, you know, I showed you how to do this. And I'm very proud of the, for the fact that you're working your tail off doing it. No, he would say, Mark, listen to me. There's a particular way to do this. Stop being hard-headed. Do it the way I showed you to do it. And God established for his people the only way of salvation was Jesus the Messiah, God's Son. There is no working your way to heaven. There is no keeping the Mosaic law. There is no being good enough because at the end of the day, you and I cannot perfect we cannot keep the law of Moses, the Old Testament law, all the commands. We cannot do that 100% of the time in perfection. We can't. We fail. We make mistakes. And we are, although we can grow and we can develop spiritually and we can be men and women of God through the grace of God, we're not going to live a perfect day. You and I are not going to live a perfect day without sin. And if we prounced around here saying that we were perfect and without sin, according to the word of God, we would be liars. Because the Bible says if anyone says that he has not sinned, he makes God out to be a liar. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us for all unrighteousness. So the Bible says, I write these things in 1 John, I write these things to you that you will not sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate in Jesus Christ, who is the sacrifice for our sins. So God sent Christ to be the Savior of the world. And for the Jew and for the Gentile, there is one way of salvation, to come to Christ to repent of your sins and place your trust in Christ and to allow the Holy Spirit to live in you the life that God expects of you. If you try to accomplish this without Christ, while rejecting Christ, God 
by the very nature that you're rebelling against him, there is a hardening of the heart, and you actually go farther away from God because you cannot obtain salvation that way. It is written that God gave them a spirit of stupor so that their eyes could not see and their ears could not hear to this very day that those who reject Christ are blind. They're spiritually blind. And until they repent of their sin and place their faith in Christ, their hearts will continue to be hardened. And that's the message. What you don't see in this passage is fatalism. What is fatalism? Fatalism is the belief that you and I have no choice in the life that we live. It's, it would be the belief that our lives are predetermined and we're just following the course that has been predetermined by God. That principle is not taught in Scripture. There is not a principle that we just, we're robots. That principle is not taught. There's a principle of moral responsibility before God and the ability to choose and to make decisions. All of these people who rejected Christ made a decision to either follow or to obey Christ. And Paul, speaking from his heart, trying to express God's plan and God's will to people who probably were asking questions about, is God done with the Jews? What is the role of the Jewish people? Even the disciples asked Jesus before he ascended to heaven, he said, will, it, will you at this time restore, restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus said, he didn't say, no, that's bad theology. That's not something we're going to do. He said, no, it's, it's in the Father's hand when this time and place will come. Jew and Gentile are saved by God's grace through Christ's provision on the cross, not the law of Moses. Paul writes Romans 11 to prevent two extreme views. One is that all Israelites are saved regardless of their view of Christ. Some would argue that because God chose Israel and they're the Jewish people, they're just saved. That God chose these people and they're saved and nothing's going to change. And they would point to the promise made to Abraham. That's an extreme view. The other extreme view is that God has rejected his people totally because they rejected Christ. That God has no plan absolutely for Israel. There are some that would take that view. And that I would say is an extreme view. And that Romans 11 corrects these two extreme views to give us a biblical understanding and God's perspective on what's going on. Paul writes again, I say, they stumbled as to fall beyond, did they stumble as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world, and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, now how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? What Paul is saying is that when Paul went to the Jews, they rejected him. And then Paul turned to the Gentiles, and they received Christ. And you see that pattern in the book of Acts. If you read the book of Acts, you'll see Paul go to the synagogue first. And when the people in the synagogue, the Jewish people, reject Christ, 
Then he goes to the Gentiles. Now, there's always this little phrase that says, Paul went to the synagogue and he preached the gospel to the Jews, and some believed. So there was a remnant. There were a few of those who believed. And then he turned to the Gentiles, and good gracious, revival broke out. Many of the Gentiles believed because they had not been afforded that opportunity, and they were just absolutely receptive to the gospel. It would be the same thing today. There are places that you can go to, and you share the gospel, and it's like there's a wall. And there are people that are responsive to the gospel, and it just seems like it's... Spiritual atmospheres change. And Paul is saying that the spiritual atmosphere of the Jewish people at this time was hostile to the gospel. But he's also saying, but God is not finished with them. They are not lost beyond recovery. That this is not the last of the story. That this is just a season in the history of time, and at this particular time, there, are a, there is a remnant of Jewish people who responded to the gospel, but many of them have rejected Christ. And Paul said, it is my heart's desire that all Israel would be saved. Paul was a true Israelite. And just as you, you know, you love who you are, you love your family, you love your culture, and those, those passions and those concerns are very deep. And Paul was every bit an Israelite, and he loved the, the, Israel, the Jewish people, and he wanted to reach them with the gospel. But God's plan for Paul was that he was the apostle to the Gentiles. So while he went to the Jewish people, he shared the gospel with the Jewish people, and some believed Paul had a tremendous, incredible ministry with the Gentile people that paved the way for much of where Christianity has grown and has been built upon and continues to grow. Paul says, I am talking to you, Gentiles, and as much as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry and hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. What Paul's saying is, you know, and I think I can, I can relate to this in the sense that when we first were reaching people and knocking on those doors, do you remember five years ago when we were knocking on all those doors in a husky and we were making hot dogs and running out in the street and inviting people to come in here? And, you know, there were times when we were, we were piecing together the music and we were, you know, it was growing and people would come in and, and they would see us and you think, man, if some of those people could just see us now, you know, God has blessed us even, you know, with the growth and the different development of the music and, and we feel so much more uh, 
We seem like we know a lot more about what we're doing and we've grown and we've learned. And Paul's saying, you know, I, I want to just reach the Gentiles and I want to grow this ministry. And I'm hoping that when my own people see the joy of the salvation of these Gentiles, that they will be moved to consider Christ, that they will somehow see that that God himself is validating this ministry, that God is blessing me with this ministry to the Gentiles and that they would come to Christ for their salvation. That's Paul's heart and his, his passion. What this is not is not a statement about, it's not saying that God picks some and he rejects others. That's not in the text. But somehow, because of the language, people can read that into the text. If you go back into the character and the, the historical background and the, the character of Paul and place yourself in his shoes and look at this as the man who wrote this and what did he mean when he said this? What he wanted to say was that I am an Israelite and I love the people of God. I love the Israelites. And I want to reach them with the gospel. But they have rejected Jesus, the Messiah. So there's no other gospel. And until they come to Christ, they're, they're lost. And I want to reach them. And I have gone to the Gentiles, and God is blessing my ministry to the Gentiles. And I am praying that they will see the success of this ministry and be turned to Christ, just as the Gentiles are. Historical background in the theme of Scripture sheds light on these verses. Paul was rejected by the Jews and therefore took the gospel to the Gentiles. God's plan has always been to include all people. He promised Abraham that through him all nations would be blessed. Also, Peter had already taken the gospel to the Gentiles. Peter had already done that in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius. So at the same time, God's, God's plan to reach the Gentiles has been set in place for eternity. In fact, God wants to reach every person. God loves every person. God wants to reach every person who responds to him in faith, turns from their sin, and trusts him for salvation. And that is our purpose in this world. If we have a relationship with Christ, and, and I believe with my whole heart that you will find as a Christian that your joy and your peace and the love in your life is in direct proportionship to your relationship with Christ. That if you will follow Christ and surrender your life to him and walk by faith with him, you will experience greater joy than if you try to meet all your needs and live with just selfish intentions. If you're driven by pride and selfishness, there's going to be a certain level of discontentment and unhappiness that you will not shake apart from Christ. And this is true for Jewish people. This is true for Gentile people. In fact, God, wants to, God has brought the two together through the cross. And in God's plan, there's, you know, there is a people of God. Now, in that people of God, you have two, two major categories. You have the nation of Israel, and you have the church, the New Testament church. 
Now, we're part of the New Testament church. And if a person who is in the nation of Israel becomes a Christian, then they're in the nation of Israel and they're part of the, the church. And I believe, although this passage does not explore all of the details, but I do believe that those promises that God made to Abraham, the land, the blessings to all nations, the Messiah, and the great nation were eternal promises and that God will fulfill that and that before Jesus is when Jesus returns, he will restore the nation Israel. That in the last days, that Israel, and Paul alludes to this in their other passage of scriptures, this is a theme throughout scripture, that God will restore the nation Israel. And many people are driven by that. I believe in my own lifetime, I've seen more activity of Christian people trying to reach the Jewish nation. And there's a tremendous amount of openness to the gospel and that God's plan is that all of these, these two will come together through his word. And this chapter only alludes to it. For if their rejection brought reject, for if the rejection of Christ by Israel brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? So there is it's good news. It's praise the Lord if they respond. Paul expresses his hope and confidence that Israel would be reconciled to God through Christ. Yes, individually and prophetically as a nation, maybe in our lifetime, maybe in our lifetime, Jesus could return in our lifetime. There's a tremendous, if you get a chance to go to the Holy Land, Go to the Holy Land and see it. It is so many things. When I was younger and I was reading about prophecy and what God was doing in the world, there were things that I read that were not happening that are now happening. That prophetically, there's a tremendous amount of uh, events and things that would point to the nation of Israel being restored to receive Jesus as their Messiah and to be restored. If some of the branches have been broken off in you, though a wild olive shoot had been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. As a Christian, as a Gentile Christian, Paul is you know, saying to us, don't think that you're better than the Jewish people who reject Christ. Don't think that you somehow deserve your salvation, that you somehow earn your salvation because you're better. God's choice of those who receive Christ, it's just like God's choice of the nation Israel. He did it not based on our works. He did it out of his plan, his purpose, and he chose us based on our faith in Christ, just as he chose them to be the channel through which the Messiah would be born. If you do not consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. The Gentiles who have come to faith in Christ are supported by the foundation that God established through Abraham and his descendants. We have the moral law. There's so much of our history as believers 
that is rooted in the Old Testament. As followers of Christ, we don't need to just read the New Testament and throw away the Old Testament. The Old Testament is foundational to the New Testament, and the two work together to show God's plan. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. Jew and Gentiles are saved by faith of Christ alone and not works. And Paul warns us about becoming arrogant and flippant towards our faith. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. If they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in. Those who believe in Christ will be included in the people of God. There is no salvation apart from faith in Christ. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature, and contrary to nature were grafted in a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so you, that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening part until the full number of Gentiles has come in, and in this way all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob, and this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. That quotation from the Old Testament runs throughout the prophets of the Old Testament. God promising his people, it looks like this. God called Israel, they served him, and then they begin to rebel and to resist God and turn away from God. And God would send discipline and correct them. And when they went into captivity or when they had famine, they would cry out to God and they would, they would reach out to God and God would make this promise that he was going to restore Israel. And that promise is throughout the Bible. And then in the New Testament, you have the ultimate rejection. When Israel rejected the Messiah, that's greater than rejecting Jeremiah. That's more serious than rejecting Isaiah. They rejected the Messiah. But even still, Paul is saying, God is going to restore the nation Israel. I have not given up on Israel. These are the promises of God. God will keep his promise to Abraham. If you were a Jewish person in the first century and you read these words of Paul, you would have been in tears. You would have been in tears and joy as a believer because you would have felt his pain, his desire for his own people, and you would have saw hope that even though your people had rejected Christ, had crucified Jesus, had rejected his apostles and were persecuting them, even though these things happened, that God's mercy was so great 
that God still included them in his plan, not based on their deeds, but based on his own character and his promise. That God's purpose and plans is not dependent on us being perfect people. God's purpose and his plans is based on the word of God, which will not fail. And what God has started, he will finish. And what he promised Abraham, he will do. That there will come a time when there are people, when that nation does surrender to Christ and they acknowledge Jesus as their king and their Messiah, that there will be a great, according to the scripture, the best that I can understand it, that there will be a repentance of the nation Israel where they recognize Jesus as their Messiah. And what does that mean to you and I? That means that you and I should be thankful for our salvation. We should praise God that we understand that Jesus is the Savior, the Messiah. We should be thankful for our salvation. And we should have great hope and great compassion in sharing the gospel with Jews, with Gentiles. If we know people that are Jewish, we should pray for them. You know, I had a close friend when I was in high school, and I remember sharing the gospel with him. And I remember thinking how difficult it is to to share the gospel with somebody that's rejected Jesus as the Messiah. You know, but it's, it's not without hope. It's not without hope. There's a church that meets here in Ahoski full of Jewish believers. They're Jewish people who recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. And God is doing this, and this is near and dear to God's heart because it's part of his eternal plan. The Bible promises a future restoration of Israel. God will fulfill his promise to Abraham. The land, the nation, the blessing to all nations, and the Messiah. The part of the Messiah is already fulfilled other than the part of the nation Israel receiving Jesus as the Messiah. Now my goal today is that this would give you the knowledge so that as you study Scripture, you can put the Old Testament and the New Testament together and understand God's plan and purpose for the Messiah, for Israel, and not be swayed by maybe to, to look into it and to study Scripture and not just be swayed by what someone might say, to make sure that you study the Word of God. Study Romans uh, 9, 10, and 11 to understand what Scripture says. As far as the gospel is concerned, Paul writes, they're enemies for your sake, but as far as election is concerned, they're loved on the account of the patriarchs, for God's gifts and his calls are irrevocable. When God calls us, he doesn't change his mind. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that God doesn't change his mind because we make mistakes. Just as you were at one time disobedient to God, have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience. So they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. What Paul's saying is, I went to the, I went to the Jews and they, they were disobedient. They rejected the gospel. Then I went to the Gentiles and they were obedient to the gospel. And I am praying that when I turn back to the Jews, they will be obedient that they will see the conversion of the Gentiles and come, become obedient to the gospel. God will keep his promises to Abraham and to all those who receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. 
For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that it may have mercy on them all. When God looks at us, you and I are not holy like God. But God looks at us through the grace that Christ died for our sins. And if we place our trust in our faith in Christ, there is forgiveness and mercy. Why did, God, why did Israel relent? Jesus as their why did they reject Jesus as their Messiah? This is the question I want us to ponder today. Why did Israel reject Jesus as their Messiah? I want you to think of it because we stand today in a very similar situation today that we are very familiar with the things of God. We are very casual with the holy. We are very comfortable with what we know and what we believe. And I've met so many people who, who are not engaged in their faith. They're not living their faith, but they know more about it than you and me. They know so much and they understand, you know, having taught in a Christian school for so many years, they know so much intellectually but their hearts are so far from that truth. And that's what Israel was like. It was like, I believe, and I don't mean to pick on Christian schools. I've been part of a Christian school my whole life, pretty much, teaching, or my adult life, that is. If you went there with the gospel, there's a rejection, a different type of rejection. Because you're being rejected by people who knew better. People who had all the information. They had all, I mean, they had the law. They had the prophets. They saw the miracles. They saw, they heard the teachings of the Son of God. And their hearts were so, so hard that they rejected the very word of God, Jesus, in the flesh. Why? pride. They knew it all. You couldn't teach them a thing. You know? Full of unbelief. They had to see it to believe it, but even when they saw it, they didn't believe it. And they wanted to abstain their salvation their own way. My prayer today is that we would have a godly sense of respect for the Word of God and for Christ. And not take Jesus and our relationship with Christ for granted that we would tremble in, in fear almost that, out of respect that religious people, people who know better, have just as much temptation to do evil as people that have never been to church. There's a great danger that our hearts be, can become prideful and we can become unwilling to learn, unwilling to humble ourselves. And when we walk around as if we know everything, and we're unteachable, God can't work in our heart. You know, my prayer is that when, you know, when we listen to anybody that talks about the Word of God, that shares Scripture, that we would have a teachable spirit. And that if somebody says, Jesus loves me, it would move our hearts. That we wouldn't become so 
uh, sophisticated and removed from the, the practice of our faith that we would be hardened like Israel in this sense. That if we know something, the goal is to respond to it in a biblical way. That we would hear, understand, and obey. That when we hear God's word, we would pray for understanding, and then we would obey it. And when we look at those areas of our life where we're not obedient, that we would make it a due diligence to overcome those sins. That we would do diligence to grow spiritually. When we look at situations and we see that we have not reached the goal, that we wouldn't despair, but that we would have hope. That this is a message of hope. This is Paul looking at something very depressing for him. That his own people had rejected the Messiah and that they continued to reject the gospel. Is his own people's rejection of Christ. Paul could have just been depressed and gave up, but he pressed on and the Holy Spirit gave him this insight to share with the Romans that God's not through with Israel, that there is hope and that hope is found in Christ. And Paul began to see that and he, he poured this out in this letter and the church has this today. We have this today as the church and it's a message to us as well that we have to guard our hearts against pride and being so familiar with the message and the holy things that we take them for granted. And we don't pray that God would um, strengthen our hearts. I thank the Lord. I know it's going to sound crazy, but I thank the Lord for sickness. You know, God uses sickness to stir our hearts to repentance to greater dependence on him. God could put a plug at any time. It don't matter who you are or what you've done. You know, God, our life is sustained by the creator. You know what? And I think we can get a little too casual with him as if we can do whatever we want and not be concerned about what he thinks. And it's a time for us to... You know, sickness is a time for us to draw near to God, and God uses that. He uses the ups and downs of life to draw us closer to him, to shape us, to depend on him and stop depending on ourselves, to do it his way and stop doing it our way. Because when we do it our way, we run into problems. When we do things his way, we're, we're blessed. Thanks for joining us today. Visit us at crossroadsahoski.com for more information, additional resources, and service times.